Well, praise the Lord. Some of y'all would have been right with God. You could have heard that twice. I might want to hear it one more time. <laughs> praise the Lord. Turn, if you would, to the book of Matthew. I'm going to make sure my collar's right now. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21 uh, this morning. And I have rewritten this sermon about five times, and it's no better than it was to start with. So, we'll just take it as it goes, amen? Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard it that it was said by them of old time. Now, the reason they've heard it said is because the children of Israel have been in captivity so long that they can't even read Hebrew anymore. So now they're going back. You've heard it said, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Let's pray. Father, thank you again today. Thank you, Lord, that you do get our attention. It may be through the desert. It may be through the water. It may be through the mountains. Thank you that you love us enough not to leave us to ourselves. I ask you this morning, Lord Jesus, would you let your Holy Spirit sweep over this place? Lord, when we're so inadequate, when we feel so unworthy, Lord, we're trusting in you to have your will and your way in each of our lives. Speak to each one of us, and we'll praise your holy name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thomas Carlyle had uh, married his secretary. He loved her very much. They worked together for years. Wasn't anything shady about it. They fell in love. He married her. But as soon as he married her, things began to kind of go down uh, because he was treating her like an employee. And uh, uh, they, they still loved each other, but uh, he had so many interests and activities, and, and uh, she was stricken with cancer. She lay there in a bed for a long, long time. After her funeral, Carlisle went back to the empty house, grieving the wife's death, the one he loved so much. And after a while, he went back upstairs. There sitting at the head of her bed was a chair. He sat down in that chair. And he thought to himself, I should have been in this chair a lot longer than what I was. I should have come a lot more than what I did. And he noticed her diary over there. Now, he would never look at her diary while she was alive, but she's gone now. So he picked it up and thumbed through the pages. 
One entry caught his eye. Yesterday it said, he spent an hour with me and it was like being in heaven. I love him so much. He turned a few more pages and continued to read. I listened all day to hear his steps in the hallway and now it's late. I guess he won't come to see me now. He continued reading through the diary and then threw it on the floor, rushed back to the cemetery, pouring down rain. Mud oozed between his fingers, sobbed with a broken heart, crying, if only I'd known, if only I'd known. When you come to Matthew 5, 21, Jesus puts us in a transition and we deal with relationships, relationships. It's vital with people, with our spouses, with our children, with our grandchildren, our family, but the most important relationship out of all of them that you do not want to neglect is the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes if we're not careful, we get so wrapped up in doing good, so wrapped up in serving the Lord that we've forgotten to sit down and just have that relationship. He deals, first of all, in verse 21, with the issue of murder, he says we're not to kill, which means we're not to murder people. Now, obviously, murder is a relationship killer. When you, when you murder somebody, forget the relationship. It's over, okay? Can't have a relationship after you murder somebody. So I, I want to hasten to say this, uh, and, and you can send all the emails I figured out a way to divert my emails now. They go to a different account. So just send all of them you want to. Doesn't make any difference. I want to hasten to say this. He is not saying in Matthew 5 that it's wrong to kill animals for food. I say a blessing every time I eat part of a pork or a steak. It is not wrong to kill animals for food. He's also saying it's not wrong to go to war to defend yourself against someone. He's not saying that. The Old Testament's filled with examples of God commanding his people to go to war. And then thirdly, he's not saying that capital punishment or the death penalty is wrong. Leviticus 23 gives us all kinds of examples of that too. Genesis 9, 6, Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. In Revelation 20, we could go on and on and on. If you're keeping up with what's happening in Dallas, man, God only knows what's going to come out of all this. Just don't know. But he is saying we're not to kill, which means we're not to murder people. And then the second one goes down in verse 22. He's adding an addendum to it, an amendment to what he says. You've heard it said, the law says thou shalt not kill, but I say unto you that, that, that you don't even have the, the angry with your brother. Don't let murderous thoughts come into your mind and heart is what he's saying here because God is concerned about what's going on in our hearts. Just because you refrain from killing somebody don't mean you're right with God. You can still have a wrong heart and a murderous thought in your hearts. Anger is such a foolish thing. It makes us destroyers instead of builders. It robs us of freedom and it makes us prisoners of our own bitterness. It leads to hate and to hate someone is to commit murder in our hearts. 1 John 3, 15, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer 
hath eternal life abiding in him. Wow. Jesus said, I say, a new amendment. Now, occasionally people will say, well, now, preacher, we're living by grace now. And we certainly are. Thank God for grace. You got the law here and you got grace here. You say, well, if we're living by grace, that means I don't have to follow this. I would just ask you one simple thing. Go back in the Word of God and show me one instance where grace does not supersede the law. Always. If the law said go one mile, grace said let's go ahead and go two. Grace always supersedes the law. So yes, we are living by grace, but grace goes a second mile. Now, let me hasten to say this. Jesus is not saying here that I'm forbidding all anger with other people because according to Ephesians 4.26, we can be angry and sin not. There is a righteous anger. I, as Jesus went to the temple, uh, you know, turning the tables upside down, I don't think he was singing, there is sunshine in my soul today and tearing the tables up. He had anger. It was righteous anger. There was a reason for it there. He was angry with those who assailed him for healing on the Sabbath. Mark 3, 5 uses the word anger. Matthew 23, 17, he called the Pharisees blind fools. To be honest with you, we probably as a nation would probably be more moral and better off if we had a little more righteous anger. If somebody actually got upset because the way our country was going. If somebody actually got ticked off because you can't carry your Bible or a judge gives a Bible to an inmate and now they're going to be sued. Man, I hope we, hmm, Lord, I hear, forgive me. In the Greek, there are two words for anger. One is the word thumos, which is like a flame. If you had a, you remember pine straw being piled up and you shoot a flame up like that? And then it goes away quickly. It dies down. There are folk like that got anger like a bottle rocket. They're hot. Anybody here? Don't you raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about? Did you know, I did the research on this. Last year it was four. But over the last 30 years, somewhere between 2 and 14 people in the United States of America have been killed by vending machines. Last year, 117 people were injured and four people got killed because they put their money in and they didn't get their million-dollar bar, Peggy. And suddenly they started shaking the machine and the machine fell on them and killed four last year. Wow. (laughs) Thumos. There's another Greek word, though, for anger, orge, which was described as long-lived anger. It's It's an anger that someone nurses, broods with it. You know, you may have a good day, and but suddenly it hits you. Oh, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be mad. And you brood up and you carry it on. I was reading the true story of Percy Washington, his wife, Corrine. They'd been married 29 years. They'd separated. 
he was 61 years old and he became angry. He bought a shotgun a day before and went to her church with the intent of murder. When the morning service was over, Washington waited for his wife to get in the car. He took the shotgun and just leveled it and pulled the trigger and killed the lady. The only problem was he didn't have his glasses on and the lady wasn't his wife. It was a car that looked like his wife's car. And his words were this, I'm so sorry, I didn't want to hurt this, I don't want to hurt anybody's family, I just wanted to kill my wife. That's, that's anger. That's, that's anger. It leaves us blinded to the reality regardless of what kind of glasses we wear. Jesus forbids the anger which broods and the anger which will not forget, the anger which refuses to be pacified and the anger that seeks revenge. It's sinful, selfish, and the Bible condemns it. James 1.20 said, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Colossians 3.8, But now ye also put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. You see, the anger that seeks revenge has a way of backfiring on us if we're not careful. There is a place for righteous anger, and that brings pleasure to God. But when he's dealing with anger here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's no, no doubt he's not dealing with righteous anger. He's dealing with sinful anger, and it robs us of fellowship with God. You cannot be right with God and not be right with other fellow men. It builds through three stages primarily. You got your ba basic anger. You just kind of start off. And then uh, you move up to the next stage, which is insulting words, raka, airhead, idiot. You know, you, you, you know the words. Somebody call them out. Amen. Uh, and then it goes to the third one where it becomes judgmental, a contempt for others. You fool, you moron. And the word moron and fool there in the Greek is not talking about mentally, it's talking about morally. Literally, he's saying you're an ungodly, immoral person when you call someone a moron. Now, the Lord gives us a phenomenal picture here. Uh, the worshiper has entered into the great temple of Herod with his sacrifice, and he's passed through all the courts, the court of the men, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, and beyond him lies the court of the priest. Only the priest could get there. And he's gone through all these other courts, and he's got the sacrifice in his hands here, and he's looking up, and he's ready, and suddenly it remembers, he's remembering that he's got something against a brother, or a brother's got something against him. And the Bible says he puts that down, and he goes and corrects that before he comes back to give his offering. You say, preacher, what does all that mean? Well, I think it's really clear that Jesus is more important to him to be reconciled with your brother than to fulfill the external duties of worship. Some of you stood this morning to worship. Some of you raised your hands this morning to worship. Some of you may have shouted this morning during worship. But I want to tell you, according to the Word of God, if you've got all against your brother, your worship is meaningless. It's meaningless. Leave it right there. Get it straightened out. Then come back and worship the Lord. 
You see, our relationship with him is more important than anything else. Don't let anything keep you from your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that's evident here, not only is it more important to be reconciled than to just fulfill all the rituals and everything because the matter of the heart is far more important. Listen, the Lord's more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness. Your happiness can come and go. He wants you to be holy because he's holy. But secondly, we, it's understood here we need to have a clear conscience it's a priority in the Christian life. Paul stressed it. Peter addressed it here. If we're going to grow spiritually and we're going to be used of God to our fullest potential, we got to make sure our lives are right with God. Now, we got to make sure our lives are right with God. You, you're never going to have everybody else think your life's right with God. But your relationship between you and God better be right if you're going to expect God to use you. He's clear. You cannot be right with God until we're right with men. It's more important to lift the load of hate from another brother's heart than it is to engage in some formal act of worship. That's what he's telling us here. Many people will try to suppress the guilt of their sin by doing things for the Lord. Makes them feel better. And that's, I, that's good. It's, you, you're just not going to be right with God that way. Ceremony, regular attendance, giving, it'll never produce a clear conscience. The only thing that'll produce a clear conscience is to have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to attempt to make those things right. Sometimes the reason our prayers are hollow or empty is because we have offended someone else and we're not willing to do anything about it. Perhaps you're sensing a spiritual dryness or an emptiness. Yeah, have you ever been there where you prayed and you prayed and it just seemed like nothing happened? Just nobody heard. Could be that maybe you need to examine yourself. Maybe see if there's something you need to repent of and to confess before God, and to get your relationship right with God and man. Because I want to tell you, let's just be honest. It really doesn't make any difference who's responsible for the break in the relationship. The break is still there. <laughs> I used to, Brother Herman would always tell me, slow down. And I'd always say, Brother Herman, I'd rather, I'd rather burn out than rust out. And he would come right back and say, it doesn't matter whether you burn out or rust out, you're still out. Hmm. Doesn't make any difference who's responsible. Maybe guilt on both sides. But he's saying reconcile it before you come to worship God. Reconcile it with your brother and then come offer your gift to the Lord. <laughs> there are two great commandments according to the word of God. Remember when they asked Jesus and he said this? Remember commandment number one? You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, so my Love God, that's respect, reverence. That's reverence. The God of this heaven created heaven and earth. We're to reverence him. He alone is worthy of our praise. And then he said the, the next thing is to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then he goes so far as to say all of the other commandments are hinged on those two things. Everything concerning the law is hinged on those two things. The Bible says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In uh, the book Focus on God, we usually uh, say when you get angry, count to 10, you know. All that does is make you angry 10 times worse. But in that book, Focus on God, uh, she is saying, the author is saying, don't, don't count to 10. Just say the first 10 words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let that go into your anger. One night in a church service, a young woman felt the tug of the Lord on her heart. She walked down the aisle. She'd sat back in the very back, the very back row. She knew she was unworthy to even be there. She came down the aisle and accepted the Lord that night as her personal Savior. Young woman had had a rough past. She had had alcohol and drugs and prostitution. But the change in her was so evident. I mean, when Jesus comes in, <laughs> man, the past is gone. And she was just full of life and vigor. And as time went on, she became a member of the church and she became involved in teaching children. And I, I, let me just pause right there to, to say this. We were at a meeting Friday night of a church that just turned 10 years old in Dallas. It was a church that... This church gave money to to start and a pulpit and furniture and all, and now they've got a building of their own, and they're 10 years old and, and just praising the Lord. And I was there with, with Dennis Swanberg, and we were sitting there, and I, I didn't realize that both of his kids had gone through alcohol and drugs and rehab and, and all of this. And, and we were sitting there talking about it at the table, and he said, always remember this. This is a way... Of course, Swan has his way of, of saying things. But he said, you know, Adam and Eve had a perfect garden. They had a perfect father. They had a perfect lifestyle. But they had a mind of their own. And I, I, I thought, you know, man, sometimes, listen, I know wh where I'm coming from. I've had my children before where Becky and I have actually honestly prayed, God, do anything you want to to them. Just don't kill them. I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. You raise your children as good as you want to, but I want to tell you, they still got a mind of their own. They can do what they want to do. This young lady been changed miraculously, and she became a member and was involved and wasn't very long and the preacher's son started eyeing her. It wasn't long he asked her to marry him. They got engaged. And that's when the problem started. Because half the church didn't think a woman like that with a past like that was worthy to be the wife of the preacher's son. Hmm? That'd be a good place to say, oh, me. Hmm? So they decided uh, to have a little meeting and 
arguments started and fights started and the people made their arguments and tensions increased and the meeting was beginning to get out of hand and the, the preacher's son finally stood up. His, his young lady became very upset and she was just bawling her eyes out and he stood up and he said, uh, folks, my fiance's past is not what's on trial here tonight. What you're questioning is the ability of the blood of Jesus to wash away sin. And today, you have put the blood of Jesus on trial. Now, let me tell you something. I don't care what you did when you came in here. I'm confessing the blood of Jesus is big enough to take care of you where you are. I don't care what it is. The blood of, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Too often, we bring up the past and we use it as a weapon against our brothers and sisters. And forgiveness is a foundational part of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because let me just tell you this. If the blood of Jesus is not enough to take care of somebody else, it's not enough to take care of you. Father, thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for your blood that was shed on Calvary. I'm praying today, Lord Jesus, there might be someone in this place, walked in this place covered in sin and unrighteousness, and today the Holy Spirit is speaking to them and drawing them to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Lord, don't let the devil have his way in their life right now. Let your Holy Spirit have freedom to do what he wants to do in this service. There are others in this place that, Lord, may need to come to this altar. God, we may just need to sit down at the chair and say, Lord, I forgive me for not sitting down a little bit more and talking to you a little bit more. Forgive me about being so busy that I've not had time to just sit in fellowship with the one who loves me so much. Lord, would you have your way in this service today that Jesus be honored and glorified. Those that might need a church home, God, if it's your will, you send them. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as Brother Aaron leads us? You come. Come on right now.